allowing God to speak to your heart. And that's been the whole kind of flow of what we've been doing lately is taking the stories of the Bible and letting God speak to us through these stories. So I want to welcome everybody who's listening online and uh, just light up the chat box, say hello. I want to thank everybody for just partnering with us in what God wants to do in the downtown core. There's been so many people that have been reached. We're reaching our community. We're reaching the, uh, the, the clubs on campus. We've been hosting things here, Young Adult Nights and Kiwanis and, and also in the seniors. So I want to pray for the seniors today. They, we're not having a service there today uh, because of a COVID outbreak again, but we just trust that it'll be a mild, like most of the symptoms have been moving forward. So we uh, just thank God for them and thank God for us being able to reach out. So we're doing this together. Like God is doing good, good things. And even by extension, uh, at the prison, God is ministering to many, many inmates every week through through ministry that we provide, that we step into. Uh, Prairie College, a university in Three Hills, uh, asked me to put together a worship series. Uh, so I'm going to be recording some videos this week that will be be able to be seen by the, the prisoners and probably other other. Uh, jails as well. So I'd really, really appreciate your prayers when it comes to that, that worship series. There's nothing that touches people's hearts like, like worship and worship music. So, I mean, worship is not just music. It's, it's our lives, right? But music is a gift from God. So we're going to use music and some exhortation, some explaining of what worship is to help lead people into, into worship. And uh, so I really, really appreciate your prayers. But thanks, Scott, for, for reading that story. There's so much within this story. And this begins, this second part of Joseph's drama, the story of Joseph's life, begins to unfold here. If you remember, and as you've been reading, Joseph interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. And then he, and then the Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge, uses Joseph's administrative gifts, and he does an amazing job because God's with him, and he has a gift, and he's just giving. And we mentioned a number of things about that last week, and so I encourage you to go back, listen to, to the message if you haven't already. Um, but there's two parts to Joseph's story, the testing part that we talked about last week and this ruling part. And so today I want us just to press into this idea of what God's up to in this story. It's going to take chapters to unfold this drama, but it's about the reconciliation of people, the reconciliation of Joseph and his brothers. And so in Genesis 42 and verse 6, it says, now Joseph was governor over the land, and uh, later on the verse it says, Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him, their faces to the ground, skipping down to verse 9, it says, and Joseph remembered the dream that he had dreamed of them. Could you imagine this moment? All that Joseph has been through, 
And now he sees this dream coming to pass. This man with all this power. And now he's proven right. Here's the question I want us to go deep with today. What do you do when you hold the power? What is the most honorable thing to do when you're the person in the room, in the situation, when you hold the power? Power, authority can be used for good or evil. We see this horrendous thing that's happening in Ukraine right now. Here's a man that has all kinds of power in Russia. What does he use his power for? Crazy. It's absolutely mind-boggling that somebody would kill others, force his will upon other people to take what he wants. That's an abuse of power. Joseph and the rest of this story is a study of the use of power. Here's Joseph. He holds all the cards. What does he do? What is most important? Which will lead us to what's in God's heart. What's most important to God? Notice how Joseph manages this situation. There's such wisdom here. There's such godly wisdom. We see mo so much in the New Testament of how to think, but we come back to these stories and it starts to unpack some details. Here his brothers are bowing down before him and Joseph accuses them of a very serious charge, espionage, spying. And I wonder what Joseph thought when, he, when his brothers said, we're honest men. Could you imagine looking at your brothers? And they're pleading with you who holds all the power. We're honest men. What will Joseph do with all his power? Well, remember, Joseph's been tested. He's been tested on many fronts. He's been tested with betrayal and bitterness. When, when the closest people to him betray him, and he doesn't turn bitter because his heart is devoted to God. Self-pity, you know, when, when, when bad things happen, we can start to feel sorry for, your, for ourselves. It's every one of our temptations. And self-pity often leads to temptation. Well, I deserve this. I, I deserve this out. I deserve this, these drugs. I deserve this sexual experience. Joseph's tested in that. Self-pity, the devil will use and capitalize. 
if our hearts aren't devoted to God. He's also tested with fear and doubt. Like, is this thing ever going to come to pass? Is this really? But instead, he's, he reaches out to others. He reaches out and serves others. Even when he himself is not seemingly the words of God aren't coming to pass for him. But he reaches out. So Joseph has been tested. But do, do, do you see the, the change in the story? Joseph's been tested, but now his brothers are going to be tested. In verse 40, in chapter 42, in verse 14, it says, And Joseph said, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. What an amazing, on-the-spot, brilliant test to administer. Bring your youngest brother here. What's Joseph up to? What's the Holy Spirit up to? Send one, of, send one of you and let him bring his brothers that your words may be tested. That your words may be tested. Remember, we talked about words, God's words. God's words are connected to his heart. And God's testing our words. Are our words honest words? Are our words really representing reality? You can look at this and, and be, start to think, well, Joseph, you're just kind of being spiteful. This is kind of payback time. But no, I think there's something much deeper here. There's much deeper of what God is up to. Now, I remember years ago, God touched my heart with his heart for the one. And I remember God speaking these words to me, would you go, and I was thinking of going into full-time ministry, would you go just for the one? And I said, yes, Lord, I, I would do it just for the one. And very soon after that, I had this strong impression on my heart, your words are about to be tested. Will you? Would you? Is your heart right? Are your motives right? God comes to us in all the, not, not, not to disqualify us, but to refine our hearts and our motives. We talked about that quite a bit last week. I encourage you to go back to that message. So our inner dialogue with God, our relationship with God, God tests our words. He tests our motives. But again, back to the story, what will Joseph do with all this power? He's going to test them to see if their words are honest. He says they're, we're honest men. So Joseph tells them to bring their youngest son, Benjamin. 
What's, what's Joseph up to here? What's the Holy Spirit up to here? This is Joseph's full brother. Joseph wants to see, has anything changed in my brothers? Is anything different? Are their hearts still the same? And we begin to see the heart of God in this. We begin to see the heart of God in this story. And then, then Joseph says after the third day, he says, I fear God. Joseph is saying this to these guys. I fear God. And he changes the sentence. And he says, just one of you stay. Simeon, you stay. And he reduces the sentence and Simeon stays and, and then the rest of them go. But then Joseph gets this window into their heart. They're being, there's an interpreter. The brothers don't know that Joseph understands their language. And Reuben, in verse 22, says, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. In verse 21, there's so much, I'm, I'm just scanning back to, there's so much that's being revealed here to Joseph's heart by the Holy Spirit. But he sees, number one, that their conscience is still working. They're still being convicted of this thing they had done. And Reuben, one of his brothers, tried to save him. Have you, have you ever thought back on a situation? You really didn't know how it played out, but you kind of assumed everybody was against you. Well, it's not always the way we see it. But again, what do you do when you hold all the power? And, and you start to get a window into these people's hearts. And Joseph is trying to get somewhere. He's trying to go somewhere. Joseph all of a sudden knows that his, his dad is alive, that Reuben tried to save him, and that his brother's conscience is working. And here this man who holds all the power begins to weep. Throughout this story, you're going to see the man who has all the power hold the compassion. What a study of how to hold power. This man's conscience, this man's heart was for the good. And you know in that moment, Joseph wanted to reach out his arms to his brothers. I mean, we, we, we would think that he would just despise them, push them away. But, but by this time, as you're reading the story, you realize Joseph is, is, is wanting to put his arms around his brothers and, and reconcile with his brothers, but he can't. He can't. Because... Honesty and humility 
is required for what forgiveness actually offers, which is reconciliation and intimacy. Let me just kind of segue into this idea of forgiveness. And there's so, so much to be said about this topic of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. It is the very heart of the gospel. But so many people get it, but don't get it. They don't really realize the depth of God's heart and God's forgiveness and the pathway to continue to receive the goodness that is God. Let me read you a few scriptures. This is Luke 24, 47. This is our Lord saying, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in the name, in his, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance and forgiveness, they go together. Joseph's looking for a repentive heart in his brothers. Acts 2 verse 38 says, and Peter said to them, this is on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later on in chapter 3 of Acts, Peter says again, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be forgiven, so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. Repent and be forgiven. When... Paul's standing before King Agrippa, he says, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, to those all in the region of Judea, and then to the Galatians, that you should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Jesus says in Luke 13, 3, and this, these, are, these are stern words. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance opens the door for forgiveness. But let me give you some, again, this is, this is a, just a real focus on the idea of forgiveness. Forgive, forgiveness has a, a wide range of meaning in the New Testament. It means let go, leave, tolerate, permit, send away, release, cancel, pardon, forgive. And the Oxford Dictionary has two parts to it. If you remember in dictionaries, often they have, you know, one definition and a second definition. Look at these two definitions. It says to give up, to cease to harbor resentment. Let me say that one again. To cease to harbor resentment. A disposition or a willingness to forgive. That's number one. Number two, to remit or let go a debt to pardon an offender. You notice those two things are distinctly different. The first, there's two dimensions of forgiveness. One has to do with the inner life of the person who's been injured. And the question is, will you let this 
sin, this offense, ruin your life and become bitter and resentful. Notice that that definition to harbor resentment. Forgiveness and releasing something and releasing it to the Lord is so, so significant. But also this idea of pardoning, removing the debt, that's a different thing. That I cannot do for someone else. I can release the resentment. I can offer forgiveness. But I cannot remove the debt. I cannot fix the problem. I'm not God, but God can. And God requires repentance, a humble, repentive heart. So there's two dimensions. Have you ever seen situations where, well, you're a Christian. You're supposed to forgive. But the person that has committed the offense has not repented. Can they, can they receive forgiveness without repentance? And the answer is absolutely not. To say to the abused person that the offender is forgiven without repentance is to say it didn't matter. And God will never do that. So God is always looking and seeking for people to repent. Look at this. I just wrote this down just for our, our thoughts. Offering forgiveness is not the same as being forgiven. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation and restored relationship. Look at these very difficult words from Peter. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 23. Who, when in speaking of Jesus who suffered and he was given for our example, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus did not take the right to judge. He did not revile. He knew what he was about. And he committed his soul to him who judges. There will be ultimate judgment. Evil will not continue to wreak havoc on this planet and throughout history. It will be cut off, but God's giving space for repentance. What do you do when you hold all the power? What is God waiting for, the precious fruit of the earth? What is he looking for in his children, those who have the courage and the strength and the anointing to be able to do what Jesus did, to commit our souls to him who judges righteously and to continue to reach out 
So this idea of finding repentance, this is 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, some people can feel sorrow. Esau was a, a man who was sorry, but he found no place of repentance. Think about that. This is what the Holy Spirit's up to in people's hearts, to help them find a place of repentance. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But this godly sorrow leads to repentance. God did a work in Joseph's life. Refined him. Now, now the Holy Spirit's doing a work in Joseph's brother's life. Trying to lead them to a place of repentance. How does Joseph do this? He sets up his younger brother. And he wants to see how his brothers treat his younger brother, just like he treated him. Has anything changed? What is the Holy Spirit up to? What is he up to in our lives when he's trying to lead us to places of repentance? You know, as Christians, we're always to release, to not harbor bitterness, not harbor resentment. And that is the place of offering forgiveness. Forgiveness should always, in our hearts, because we've been so greatly forgiven, we ought to be forgiving people. We ought to offer forgiveness. But that's different than people receiving forgiveness, finding a place of repentance. When, when each one of us goes to the Lord and examines our heart, in the, in the Lord's Prayer that we just recited, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, just as we've forgiven, we, as we have been forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses. This, this daily... Rehearsal, this daily refinement, this daily releasing of our heart. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against anybody. See, that's not dependent on anybody else. That's just dependent on me and my heart. But what's the goal of forgiveness? The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. So, so, so back to the story in, in chapter 43. Jacob sends his sons back a second time. The famine's getting greater. So Judah says, okay, uh, I'll go, and, but I got to take the son. I got to take the youngest son. He, he said, I have to bring Benjamin, but Jacob doesn't want that. But eventually he relents. He puts together a... Uh, a care package of pistachio nuts and almonds and all this stuff. 
as if that's going to make a difference. But, uh, but then Benjamin comes and Joseph sees his brother. And Joseph begins to weep in chapter 43 and verse 30. Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. He so wanted to put his arms around them, but he, he couldn't. He, he doesn't know if they found a place of repentance. So then by the end of the chapter, he has all the, son, all the brothers sitting around this table and in the order of their birth, and they don't know what's going to happen. And so then the rest of the story continues, and he sends them home, and he's, he sends them with more blessing. But then he puts his cup in Benjamin's sack. And when they're leaving to go back home, they find this, that Benjamin has the king's cup or, or Joseph's cup. And it, it's, it's just such a, a, a striking test. Notice, notice the test. Because he says, all, everybody's going to set free. Like, when they find Benjamin, you'd think, okay, they're all just going to be destroyed because he holds all the power. You, I've caught you twice. It's, we're done. But see, Joseph's after something much deeper. And he says, no, I just want Benjamin. What's he up to? He wants to know what's in their heart. Will they give him up? And save their own skin. Has anything changed? And then you see something massive has changed. And it's a powerful glimpse of our Lord Jesus. Where Judah, who holds the line in the lineage of Jesus, says, I'll stand in its place. Take me. Take me instead. This is totally different. So many things have changed. And you find Judah laying down his life for his brother. It's a picture of Jesus. A very dim one. But it's a picture. In verse 33, it says... Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as, as the servant of the Lord. So Joseph sees that his brother's hearts have changed. And then let me read out of Genesis 45 and verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out, of, out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brother, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him 
for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. What an amazing, what an amazing drama unfolding. Let me skip down to verse 14. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. What, what an absolutely amazing story. Then they go back and they tell Joseph, or uh, sorry, Jacob, that Joseph is alive and, and Jacob is just numb until they show him all the stuff that they brought. So what's, 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 what's the moral of the story? What do you do when you hold all the power? The goal of offering forgiveness is reconciliation, which takes restored trust and restored relationship. Forgift, forgiveness is a gift offered. It's a gift offered by the blood of Jesus, but repentance is required. Let me just end with uh, Genesis 50. Remember, this is where we began, and so now we return again to the end of the story. And what did Joseph do with all his power? So, a few things have happened. Joseph, Jacob has, has come and lived with them, but now Jacob dies. And when Joseph's brothers saw that his father died, this is verse 15 of chapter 50, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the evil that we've done to him. See, reconciliation relationship building is a process that has to run its course people have to be willing to reconcile they have to be able and willing to maintain a heart of repentance but remember this is where we started our our little journey with joseph this is verse 18 then his brothers also went and fell down before his face here's the prophecy being or the dream being fulfilled again and they said behold we are your servants and Joseph says, do not be afraid, for, I'm in the, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. So what do you do when you hold all the power in any circumstance, in any situation with your wife, with your husband, with your children, on the job? What do you do when you hold all the power? Well, what does the God of the universe who holds all the power do with his power? What did Jesus do? The upper room. They're having the Last Supper, right? 
Jesus is about to give his life as a ransom for many. What does Jesus do? Ask for their sympathy? No, he girds himself and begins to wash their feet. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message. This is the power that we have received by the grace of God and can maintain our own hearts with it and offer it to other people. But to think it's just a get-out-of-hell-free card without the examining of hearts, the examining and the repentiveness of hearts, we're being mistaken. Hearts have to be humble. Hearts have to be honest. Look at this scripture. This is 2 Corinthians. We're going to end here. 2 Corinthians 17, or 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This, this is what the creator of the universe is desiring to have happen in us and through us. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. We as forgiven people are tasked with extending the forgiveness to the world it is forgiveness offered, yet must be received through genuine, honest repentance. I just want to pray. I want to pray the prayer we always pray. But I also want anybody that has found themselves falling away from God or there's been unrepentive sin in your life. But I, I just pray that if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, that you'd pray this prayer with us. And if you pray this prayer, I really love for you to reach out to us. But Father, I just ask by your Holy Spirit that you would lead and guide and navigate the hearts of your people. God, you did such amazing things in the lives of Joseph and his family. And you see the drama, you see the, the turmoil, you see the wrestling, you see the struggle. God, I pray that you'd help us to be ministers of reconciliation where we find humble places of repentance to receive the grace and the goodness and the inheritance that you've promised every one of us, that we have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to hide because of your great sacrifice. And because we have been forgiven, we can offer forgiveness. But Lord, help us to be ambassadors and plead with hearts within our world 
that when we hold this message of the gospel, when we hold the power of the reconciling power of the universe, that we would do it with your heart, with your compassion. Lord, we first of all ask that you would test our hearts. And Lord, through us, give the compassion that we see in this story of Joseph. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've fallen away from the Lord, or you have unrepented sin in your life, I just want to pray this prayer with you. Maybe we all could just pray this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I repent of my sin. I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to become the person you want me to become. Amen, amen. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us, info at newandlivingway.ca, and we'd love to know that you've committed your life to Christ or maybe you've renewed your commitment to the Lord. But we'd, we'd love to take the journey with you as we all grasp more deeply the power of forgiveness and reconciliation. Amen. Amen.